Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard alongside none other than John Tesh. John, how you doing? I'm fine. Let's do this as if we were doing... Uh, let me see if I have another piece of music. This is the John no, Tesh Radio no, Show. No, it's not. It's Gib Gerard's show. I'm sorry, I pushed the wrong button. So let's do this as if we were doing Downton Abbey. Okay, ready? Go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm uh, Sir Walter <laughs> McFarganson, um, here with the upstairs crowd. Uh, of course, none other than, than Lord Grantham himself, John Tesh. Hello, I'm, yes, I'm in the library. I'm moving books slightly to the left. <laughs> what? Another I, tribute to Downtown Abbey. Can, can I ask why you decided to do the well, Downtown Abbey? Well, because my wife made morning? me go watch that thing. And yeah. I thought that I should, I should, I should torture you too. Uh, and actually, she said it wasn't a great movie. She said uh, it, was, it was just, you know. Okay, I haven't seen it, so full disclosure. But I, I oh have, yeah, you're you're, I yeah, like you're in line show. to see that. I, yeah, I, I, I don't want to ruin it for you. I did like the show, but I have I've have heard that it's really not so much a standalone movie as it is a bridge from the old version of the show that no yeah, is no more right, to a right. newer version of the show that they're right. going to do. Yeah. I was a little distracted. When I was watching it, because I was doing my taxes in my head, and that was a little—that was a little more. Uh, but now I know that uh, I can probably beat distraction with your guest today, who yes. is Clay Scroggins. He is the author of the book "How to Lead in a World of Distraction." He's also written "How to Lead When You're Not in Charge." I think I'm paraphrasing the title, um, but he is all about finding leadership way, ways to imbue and exude leadership in your life. Um, and that, and and we talk a lot today about how distraction, uh, all of the distractions of modern life, take away from our ability to lead ourselves, to lead our families, to lead um, to lead the organizations that we're in. And uh, and yeah, I, I actually really really enjoyed this conversation. And we're both into the Enneagram. We're the same number on the Enneagram, which is a personality test. So we we bonded. Oh, he's, a little bit. Oh, you, oh gosh. Yeah, he's into that. All right, okay. Uh, you'll explain that later, but yes. uh, you have a soundbite. You want to say that? that, that I, I do. So, so before we get started with the interview, so uh, what we talk we talk a lot about a lot of different things. But here, here he is talking about one: how to be a leader, um, even if you're not in charge of your own your own organization, but also why distraction kind of takes away from your ability to develop as a leader, as a as a healthy human being. What I began to find the more I the more I uh, explored the space of of leadership in the workplace is that the healthiest people were the best leaders. Right. That right. when people become more emotionally healthy, they actually become better leaders. And obviously Daniel Goleman's done so much work on emotional intelligence, but that's such a buzzword in, in the corporate space these days, because, you know, if you give me somebody who's, you know, tactically really strong, knows how to execute, knows how to read a spreadsheet, knows how to run a pivot table in the spreadsheet, but doesn't have emotional intelligence, uh, that's only going to take them so far that really the X factor in great leadership is someone who's an emotionally healthy person. Right. And none of us ever arrive there, but we can all trend toward emotional health. And the greater we trend toward emotional health, the better we are as leaders. And I really think what stands between us becoming more emotionally healthy people are the distractions that are in our way that keep us from dealing with what's going on inside right. of us. And of course, now there's more distractions than ever before. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the, and that's that's the thing. But we also, you know. The tools of distraction have changed. The tools of distraction have gotten better, but we have always allowed, as as human beings, distraction to get the best better of us. Whether and I, we talk about this in the interview, whether it's the wireless radio or whether it was the daily newspapers or the twice daily newspapers that used to come out. So, 
we just now have these companies that have programmed these little obelisks we keep in our pockets to make us extra distracted. Um, but but our tendency to, to to turn away from our growth is not a new phenomenon. We just have they just have new tools of forcing us to do that. Well, that's awesome. So Clay Scroggins, author of How to Lead in a World of Distraction, is uh, is coming up. I have to tell you, you were really you were really great, uh, and you're always great when you're uh, live and ad libbing. But uh, you were great hosting the fundraiser for uh, for Cry Out, this great organization in uh, in Los Angeles, oh, which, which empowers uh, kids in the in, in the arts. And we got a chance to see some great performances. <laughs> but your 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 mom and I were the ones that were laughing the hardest. Oh, yes, because no it was a room full of millennials, and and you were doing jokes about lithium and ferberizing, whatever <laughs> it was, and, and we were dying laughing. And people were laughing, but not as hard as we were. And I'm wondering if that was because you're normally talking to. Our concert audience, which is a little older, like well, 20, so 30 I, I years think, older. I think it's a couple of things. So one is, yes, I have definitely played to some older crowds. But I also, <laughs> but I play, you know, when I do comedy clubs, it runs, it runs the gamut right, from, sure. from yeah, 21 yeah, yeah. To, to, you know, 60, 70 yeah. years old. Um, but the, the, the thing is that I am aesthetically driven to the 60s and 70s. And right. I, I blame you for part of that. For sure. But like, sure. Uh, so, so I made a, I made a joke about, uh, about my own mental health, not about mental health in general. And I, and I said, oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's, I said, the arts have really helped me in a lot of ways. I said, oh, wait, no, that's lithium. And, you know, one, lithium is still prescribed. So I'm not that, that out of it. But also, yeah. The yeah but I think, that, I think uh, Xanax would have been a better. I, I, I think Conan Doyle was the last person who took <laughs> lithium. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, and I, what is so? What is ferberizing? So ferberizing, it's, it was a method of child development that that it's still people still do practice it. It's sort of the opposite of attachment parenting. It's where you uh, very early on, you when you put your kid down, you put them down to go to sleep. You put them in the crib, yeah, right. and when they're crying, you don't pick them up. Oh, um, and so we were talking about child. I, I, so it's a euphemism for torture, right? Was, we yeah. were talking about childhood yeah. trauma. Uh-huh. Oh, gotcha. And again, I was making jokes about childhood trauma. You know, you really have to see me live to get the context. <laughs> Because I sound like a really insensitive person. Um, not, not at all. But but all. I, but I yeah. Uh, so ferber- I, we did. I did make a joke about being ferberized. But I think it's so great to have. And I think to you know. Hey, listen. Some of the millennials were getting it, but I think it's. I, you know. I think they need to study the '60s and the '70s because you know, as as a guy who just last night went to see the Who in concert with two seventy-five-year-old frontmen. Um, they just don't make music or jokes like that anymore. I, thank you. <laughs> the, the other thing that kind of hurts me is a lot of comedians will uh, will build to their punchline with a certain intonation that lets everybody know now is the time to laugh. I'm a little drier than that when I'm on stage, and so I will leave things out there. And you know, we, you and I both love Norm Macdonald's stand up, <laughs> and there's a dryness to that that I really like. Yeah. And so I'll leave a joke out there, and people won't realize that it's a joke unless they get it. And right, so there's right. people that don't that just don't laugh. They think I'm being serious that you know that I am on lithium as opposed to knowing what the heck lithium is and why I was making the joke. You know what's really wild is just a quick connection is that when I was uh, when I was hired in '76 to do um, uh, WCBS TV News in New York, the first it was always two part series right during the rating sweeps, and the first story I did was a story on depression, and it was all about lithium because yeah. Prozac did not exist. So what's crazy about lithium, I can't believe we're still talking about lithium. I know. We'll get to the interview in yeah. a second here. But lithium is an element, you know, it, and, and you can't right. patent it. Yeah. Um, and, and it is actually one of the best treatments for bipolar disorder, still to this day, uh, is used. The only downside is because it comes in the form of a salt, a lithium salt, because it's an alkali earth metal, it eventually, if you're on it long enough, will destroy your kidneys. 
Oh um, wow! It also it also uh, it also messes with your bowels too because yeah. of the salt. Yeah. Yes. So, but it's a uh, but it is a phenomenon. It's it's an element, and it helps it helps regulate uh, the the firing of the neurons in your brain in a way that a lot of other drugs just can't do. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, listen, let's get to the interview because this okay. is really set it up for us. All right. So here's Clay Scroggins. He is a, an expert in organizational leadership. Uh, he is a he's a pastor of a very large church in in Buckhead, uh, Buckhead, Atlanta. Oh yeah. And and, uh, and he's this is his second book, and he really is all about how we are allowing distractions to get in the way of us developing as the people that we could be. Uh, and how to be leaders in our own lives, how to be intentional and, and direct your own life. Clay Scroggins, or should I say Dr. Scroggins, uh, thank you so much for being a part of our program today. We're really excited to have you. Glad to be here, Gib. Thank you. And uh, yeah, Clay is Clay's just fine. I, I, did, I did do the work for the doctorate, got the degree, but uh, around here, I just go by my first name, which uh, I don't know. In in my world, uh, I'm I'm hoping it makes me more approachable. Yeah, maybe to people. Doctor Clay, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> you Your it's new like book, "How to Lead in a World of Distraction: Four Simple Habits for Turning Down the Noise." I, I, you know, this is a theme. I feel like uh, you're not the first person we've talked to about this, but I, I but I also believe that there's there's some sort of title shift that is going on in the world right now where we have embraced technology. Uh, yeah. in particular, but just, uh, we've, we've sort of, we've thought that all of these things were going to make our lives better. And really it's just made our lives more scattered and, and yeah. really like uh, insulated us from having real meaningful moments with people. And everybody's kind of walking around jaded. I mean, this is the zombie apocalypse in my opinion. So why, yeah. why, why do you think all of a sudden people are starting to realize that, oh my gosh, we are distracted from life? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the way you set that up is great. I, I do think it is the, it's kind of the new reality that we're living in. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and I, I do hope it is relevant for people. I was, um, did this interview with a, I don't know, it was a news publication. It was probably about two months ago. And this lady, I I felt like I was like her fourth interview of the day. She was kind of just going through the motions Mm -hmm. and we're about halfway through. She's probably four questions in questions that she had probably either prepared or somebody had handed her. And about halfway through with it, she goes, this is really relevant stuff. Did you know that? (laughs) Well, I wrote the book for a reason. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, well, that's very encouraging. I hope it's relevant (laughs) stuff. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, that is exactly how I feel. I feel like, yes, we are more distracted today than we have ever been Mm -hmm. before. And to your point, technology is a big part of it, but um, it's, uh, I don't, I don't think, uh, it's not just because of technology mm-hmm. that I think our attention spans are declining. Uh, we do seem to have a harder time being in the moment. I think a mm-hmm. lot of that has to do with technology, but I think there's something, I think there's probably a greater cost to, uh, the distraction. And that's really what I wanted to write about. That's what I wanted to study was, um, yes, you know, it's, it's one thing to just say, yeah, the world is more distracted than it's ever been before, but what's on the other side of that? What's it costing us? Right. Uh, what's at stake? And that's probably what I'm most interested in. Well, you have to answer the question is, you know, is distraction necessarily a bad thing? Cause you're not, that's right. you're not necessarily, you're distracted from what's in front of you, but you're also giving your attention to something. So full right. calling it distraction may be even a misnomer unless you've decided that what's in front of you is more important. And I, I, I some of this stuff has been said about the wireless radio when it first began to become adopted across the country. And if you've ever seen pictures of men on a subway platform in the teens and 20s of the 20th century, uh, or e- I mean, even into the late 19th century, uh, they it's just newspapers in front of their faces. So the, right. the notion yeah, exactly. of being exactly. distracted from the present is not new. I just feel like 
the tools have become what's the word they've become so effective and they have been designed to to gather our attention in a way that we we are powerless against i feel like even with the newspaper and even with the wireless radio we had a power over it to turn it off and to step outside we just no longer have with the phones well that's a really great insight and i think the you know one of the saddest parts of technology is that the 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 ones who are actually creating the technology when you look at their parenting habits if you were to just you know read about some of the leaders in silicon valley and what are they doing with their kids a lot of them are raising kids in a technology free world right. which feels so coincident you know that are you know you're the one creating it yet you right. wouldn't even allow your kid uh, to to use it which um, most parents most parents are the opposite. Most most parents are not creating it, and they're right. letting their kids consume it as much as they want. Right. I I, I bring that up, and and whenever I have conversations about the power of technology, now I, I I like to point that out that the the very titans who create the stuff that keep, keep that keeps us addicted uh, right. won't allow the people in their immediate sphere of influence to be addicted. Yep. yep. It's like yeah, uh, it's like when drug dealers say, "Don't get high on your own supply." It's the same <laughs> That's concept. That's right. That's right. That's right. Don't smoke your own stash. That's yeah. Exactly right. So, so yeah, what I'm what I'm most interested in, though, Gib, is not, uh, you know, when I I didn't I didn't set out to say, hey, I'm going to write a book to tell people get away from technology or mm-hmm. turn down the social media or say no to, uh, you know, get your nose out of your iPhone. Right. Uh, for me, what I started finding was that these distractions were things that I was controlling far more than I even thought I was. Mm-hmm. That I, the way I like to put it is that we all have our fingers on the knob of some kind of noise in our life. And usually the volume that we keep the noise at is dependent upon how much emotional energy we have inside of us that we're trying to avoid. And so when there's stuff inside of us, usually driven by pain, but not always, sometimes it's driven by boredom or by even, you know, maybe uh, not necessarily all evil emotions or negative emotions, but things like loneliness or inadequacy or uh, the feeling of failure or the feeling of disappointment, whenever those things begin to rise up inside of us, I've just noticed that I'm more likely to turn up sure. the volume on my own distractions. Sure. And so that's really what I wanted to talk about was how do you get on the other side of what you're distracting yourself from? Sure. And how do you get yourself to a place where you can actually deal directly with those emotions that are inside of you uh, so that it'll make you a better person? And then this book is really designed for leaders. Ultimately, it'll, it'll, it will make you a better leader if you can learn how to turn down the noise uh, low enough and long enough to be curious about what's going on inside of you. Well, I'm gonna say two things about that. First of all, like, and, uh, let's dive into the notion of avoidance because I think that that's essentially what you're describing. And I know I've already made this parallel, but um, one of the big catalysts for drug and al- drug addiction and alcoholism is emotional avoidance, is pain avoidance. That's right. That's um, right. And that is that is a fundamental nature of the disease. And when you try to help people with the disease. That's the first thing you do is you start unpacking the pain that you're trying to avoid uh, yep. with the with with whatever your drug of choice is. And now for some people, that drug of choice is not to pick a culprit, but Instagram or Snapchat. Um, that's right. And and that's just that, but that's just the reality we live in. But you but you also said something great, which is that we avoid boredom. And there have been numerous studies that have shown how important boredom is for us, uh, how important boredom is for our creative mind, and how important cultivating boredom is for just our our thought processing. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we're really losing that now. I agree. I mean, with our own kids, I mean, we try to use the simple uh, rule of thumb that it takes about 15 minutes of boredom for creativity to kick in. Right. 
And so, you know, when, when you and I were kids, you know, yeah, there was the newspaper, there was the radio, there was television to an extent. There was, I don't know if you were uh, Atari, Nintendo, I don't know what generation you are. I was Nintendo. But, I was Nintendo, okay, Super so, Nintendo, N64, little Sega Genesis thrown in there. Okay, Sonic the Hedgehog. Me I, yeah, well. who doesn't? I mean, yeah, yeah. Mortal Kombat. I mean, I was, you know, the, the usual so there suspects. Were distractions. Yeah, there was the same stuff for us, but I think it is greater now than it's ever been before. No so, question. Um, but the idea of uh, giving kids enough space to be able to create that boredom that seems to be an activator or a catalyst for the creativity um, is an important thing. But yes, to try to get on the other side of, you know, with addictions, I think you're exactly right. Most people, anyone that I come in contact with this running some kind of uh, addiction rehabilitation or addiction recovery that, you know, instead of trying to attack the addiction, they said, no, 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 let's attack those emotions inside of you that are causing uh, those behaviors that you have. So I, I like to use the illustration of white noise. Mm-hmm. Um, are you? Do you sleep with white noise yourself? Um, I, I don't prefer it, but uh, there are people in my household who insist, so I, I live with it. Are you married to one of them who is? Yes, I, that's the issue. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually the way it works. Yeah. Um, my wife and I, uh, we've got little kids. I don't think we, we did not use white noise until we had kids. Well, it's really and helpful it was, with putting the kids down because then... That's exactly right. Then you can walk through the room and every squeak and creak doesn't wake them right up. Doesn't wake them up, which that's that's what white noise does. White noise is a, it's a masking device. It's right. a tool that we use to mask those emotions that mm-hmm. we don't want to hear. And so what I've found is that it's a really helpful illustration in thinking about distraction or thinking about the clutter or the noise that we live with on a regular basis, that all of us are in the same way that w- what we usually do is we there's that uh, emotion inside of us that we don't want to feel, not mm-hmm. the sound we don't want to mm-hmm. hear, but there's the emotion we don't want to feel. And what we do is we just turn up the volume of the noise. And 100%. The louder uh, the noise inside of us is, the louder the negative emotion inside of us is, the louder the noise in our life needs to be. And so I think that's the part that's caught me off guard about distraction is that, yes, there are distractions that are dangerous in life. But worse than that, I've got my fingers on the dial of them and I'm turning right. them up and down depending on what I'm feeling inside of me. Yeah. I mean, and again, I mean, this just really leads into that 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 drug concept where we we're really just trying to quiet these uh, quiet those, like you said, those, those moments of pain and stuff. So, um, I, you also, you know, I know you, I know you focus on leadership. Um, but I just want to say, like, I feel like this is good for everybody. What everybody has a sphere of leadership, whether you yeah. realize it or not, whether it's just over yourself and how you manage your time or over a family or over an organization. So I feel like the notion of, of distract, a distraction taking away from your ability to lead. I think even if, even if your person's like, well, I'm not a leader, don't turn it off because you're you are a leader of your own life, and the intentionality that you exhibit in your life is your version of leadership. Even if you if, even if you're not in charge of any other people. Well, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called "How to Lead When You're Not in Charge," and that's how I got into the whole publishing space. Was I bumped into this title? Uh, I had done a leadership talk. I was really trying to motivate the people that I was working with. Uh, I work in a I work in an organization that has about 600 employees, but we've got different locations. And so I was leading one of our locations that had about 100 of those employees. And it's just real easy for you to sit on your hands and think, oh, well, I don't have the authority I want. Therefore, I'm not a leader. Right. Uh, But we all know leadership ultimately, exactly like you said, it's ultimately influence. That's what leadership Mm -hmm. really is. Right. And you have influence over whatever sphere you have. Mm -hmm. And to, to, to see yourself as a leader, I think is a really appropriate and healthy promotion that you actually can give yourself. 
And this next book, How to Lead in a World of Distraction, is really just the second step in that of, about leading yourself. That ultimately, what I began to find, the more I, the more I uh, explored the space of, of leadership in the workplace, is that the healthiest people were the best leaders. Right. That right. when people become more emotionally healthy, they actually become better leaders. And obviously, Daniel Goleman's done so much work on emotional intelligence, but that's such a buzzword in, in the corporate space these days, because, you know, if you give me somebody who's, you know, tactically really strong, knows how to execute, knows how to read a spreadsheet, knows how to run a pivot table in the spreadsheet, but doesn't have emotional intelligence, uh, that's only going to take them so far that really the X factor in great leadership is someone who's an emotionally healthy person. Right. And none of us ever arrive there, but we can all trend toward emotional health. And the greater we trend toward emotional health, the better we are as leaders. And I really think what stands between us becoming more emotionally healthy people are the distractions that are in our way that keep us from dealing with what's going on inside right. of us. So right. that's how this whole journey for me um, really began. But it's uh, it's been a fun one because I get to talk about things that I'm really excited about and passionate about, things that are uh, useful and purposeful in my own life as well. Okay. So I'm I'm let's say we buy in because I do, right? That that these tools that were meant to be tools for us have turned us into tools for them that we are that we are distracting ourselves from what's important and we are becoming emotionally unintelligent. Like I think I think this I think the squirts of uh of emotional chemicals that we get in our brain when we deal with social media are um it's it's just like uh, it's just like an opiate where where it's it's bonding to the receptor site of something that we were designed for uh, instead yep. of of giving us that thing that it was designed for. So I th you know instead of having true emotional connection, we instead have this sort of half connection that creates a drug cycle for us. So that's right. I think it's a problem. I have noticed that even I, when I'm supposed to be intentional with my children, creep over to my phone in a way that is. I mean, frankly, I'm embarrassed by how often yeah. I do it. Yeah. So uh, you have these habits that help us unpack that. What what are the what are the four principal habits? And are, are we, sorry, are we ready in your thesis to start talking about the four <laughs> principal habits, or is there another? Is there another? Uh, I feel ready, but is there another element that we need? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you got to identify what the noise is that you lean on. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's obvious. There's the obvious ones. You know, the you you've mentioned it. There's social media. There's you know online shopping. I, mm -hmm. I did an interview with Dave Ramsey the other day about this topic. I said, Dave, have you seen this in people that you deal with? I mean, he's on the radio three hours a day for 30 years. He mm -hmm. said, of course. He said, I was talking to this lady the other day who said she had a shoe fetish. And she, he, he said, he asked her, well, how many shoes do you have? And she said, well, when I open up my closet, shoes fall out on me. Amelda so, Marcos um, over here. Yeah, exactly. That's a dated reference. That's a dated <laughs> that, reference. That is. I didn't even get it, honestly. Uh, she um, was the first lady of the Philippines and had a famous, world-famous shoe collection. Sorry. Oh, there you go. Um, well, this lady said, he said, hey, well, do you, have you noticed any patterns as to when you buy the shoes? And she mm. said, yeah, every time I go drop my kids off, at my ex-husband's house, oh, wow. I go by the store and I buy shoes. So that's a really great example that the shoe buying is her noise. And so what I have encouraged people to do is identify the noise and then experiment with it. You know, to, to try to drop the kids off and try to not go buy shoes and just listen to what's inside. Mm -hmm. That's the third big step is listen to what it's masking. Um, and then And then to install some habits in your life. And that's what this book is really all about. It's a practical guide. It's a how-to. It's really my own story of what I'm trying to do. And as a, you know, I'm a, I'm a professional pastor. It's what, it's, my, it's what I do for a living. So the way I like to think of it is, you know, if, if you were to tell a plumber 
about your toilet problem, the plumber would probably be like, yeah, I mean, I've seen pretty much all the problems. Mm -hmm. I know, I know exactly uh, right. what, what you're dealing with there. And obviously I have not seen every problem that people have bumped into, but the more you do this business, I mean, the more I find myself in conversations where, you know, first 60 seconds, first couple minutes, I go, yeah, I've heard this one before. I, I get this one mm -hmm. because people just naturally bring their problems to me. And right. so what I've started to find is, is that there are some habits that you can install in your life that you can uh, implement in your world that will keep you healthy. They'll keep you regulated. They'll keep your, I like to think of your antennas being clear or to use another Nintendo reference. It's <laughs> like when you remember when the game was blow, a little blurry, you blow, you blow on the thing, you, you take the cartridge out and blow on it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's what I think these habits are. They're Which just these little, they're habits that you blow on the cartridge. You just get the clarity that you need <laughs> to be able to live the way you were meant to live. I think you're an engineer by training too. So I, I, I think, I think that somebody came out with a paper not long ago saying that that was a completely useless proposition, but I think you're, are you you're, serious? I think you I think your metaphor sta stands. I know exactly what you're talking about, <laughs> but I just, there's a certain irony to the fact that I think it didn't do it. <laughs> that it doesn't actually work. <laughs> I mean, you think clearing off the dust from the contacts would make everything, right. it would make, but whatever. Anyway, okay. Well, that's essentially what this is. It's wiping the dust off the antenna. Yeah. It's clearing off the antenna so that you can, so that you can think more clearly, so that you can be more present, so that you can listen ultimately to what's inside of you. What's on the other side of distractions mm -hmm. or discovery? Right. On the other side of distractions is the ability to discover what's really going on inside of you. So that's really what these and that are. and so, that elastic creative thinking that you were talking, we were talking about before with your kids. That's where exactly at, right. After fifteen minutes of boredom. Like that, so um, I, I do mindfulness meditation um, and and yeah. and prayer, and I feel like the mindfulness meditation thing, where you're just you really just get in the habit of being quiet and not letting your brain run and not being able to check yep. your phone, and just that it's amazing how much that recenters your brain of just taking the decision making yeah. away from you from yourself for a few minutes. It's unbelievable, and I think that uh, on the other side, like your point, on the other side of distraction is that feeling. And that feeling, yep. again, is so much better than what we get from being resistant to our emotions. Uh, we just don't realize it until we sit in it for a few minutes. Well, getting quiet is one of the habits that uh, I that I list. And there's, you know, there's there's probably 10, 12, 15 habits if we were to sit here and name a right. few. But, but four, four looks better on a book jacket. You know, what? It, it, sure, it sure gets you to 50,000 words, yeah. uh, which is which that's the goal in publishing. But for, you know, for me, uh, what I try to do is I try to take these, um, these principles or habits that we find in spirituality hmm. and I tried to put some practical handles on them. And so that's really, you know, just like you said, prayer, mindfulness, meditation, you know, those are practices and habits that have been around for centuries and centuries. Mm -hmm. Um, but the simple, if you, if you broke it down, the, the idea is just to get quiet, that there right. is a rhythm in your life of getting quiet. And I don't know, you know, depending on your temperament, that might be harder for you than, uh, you seem like a very extroverted, uh, you like to have a good time kind of person. I mean, for me, <laughs> I have a, I mean, I hate silence. I mean, I'm, I'm right. honestly, I'm, there's a part of me that's afraid of silence that I, I it really is deafening to me but I've just learned that if I don't have a rhythm or a habit and if I if I don't have guided silence I think right. part of my problem is silence with no plan is uh, sometimes more harmful for me than uh, even just continuing to live with all the noise mm -hmm. and so I think having a plan for your silence that's what I would encourage people is if you try to implement the habit of getting quiet I think you right. got to have a plan with it you got to decide what am I going to do right. with that solitude? And right. so for me, I've got a, there's a couple things that I um, use to guide that silence, but I would just encourage people to have some kind of plan because it will 
um, it, it will definitely make the silence more profitable. Well, and, th- and this kind of fits with, with the stuff that I tell all the time, which is, I think, gratefulness, journaling, uh, yep. journaling in general, like writing down your thoughts for the day to start your day off and just get that out of your head. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, I, I mean, I just spent the weekend away with a bunch of guys doing exactly that, where we were just, uh, getting together, talking about what we were going to like, and just, and putting our, putting our heads into paper apart from each other. It was, it was a, it was amazing. But the point being like, it, it really does it, it, you're forced to focus your mind on one thing, give yourself a little bit of structure, think about what your priorities are and what you're grateful for. And I think that if you can do that as often as possible, it's going to be good. Let's go through what, the, go ahead. Well, can I ask you, Gib, what, no. can you tell us a little more about that weekend? Can I turn the tables like Adele for just a uh, second here? I, tell, tell us about the weekend. What, I, what, I what went into the woods with helpful? seven other guys and we, our goal was to, um, to create a mission statement for ourselves so that we were wow. actively, we were actively prioritizing our days. You know, I, I, we, we talk about on this show and other stuff, the idea of winning your day. Uh, yep. And if you, uh, Aubrey Marcus wrote a book and whatever you think about Aubrey Marcus, but uh, win the day, win your life. Um, yep, and it's yep, true. Yep. Like, you know, what, what I find, especially in modern life is we can be adrift and in the current of whatever happens day to day. And the whole point of this was to set a rudder um, so that wow. you, so that as you go, as you move 10 feet at a time, you know the direction that you're moving and you can prioritize. And there was pushback in the group. Like some guys were like, well, you know, I don't, I don't know where I want to be in 10 years or what, uh, or what sort of unforeseen things are going to happen. And they were all great points, but ultimately like the understanding was how are you going to handle inclement weather? If you don't know where you're going, how are you going to handle the unforeseen How are you process it quickly? Uh, unless you're anchored. Right. Unless you have that direction, unless you have that, that navigation in your head. So that was the point. So we spend a lot of time independently journaling and, and prioritizing and looking at six areas of our lives where we wanted to um, uh, to kind of set a tone for what our priorities were in those six areas. You know, there, there's probably plenty of people that are thinking, yeah, that's probably good. I should get to that at some point. But I think the the beauty of what you did is that you actually did it. Oh, man. That you actually went and that you did it in community, you know, doing it with other people. Uh, it was probably more enjoyable to do it that way. Every single one of us at one point during the weekend was like, you know, I really didn't want to do this. It was a really bad time for me, but I just decided to do it anyway. Like on yeah. Thursday, I was I was find, trying to find an excuse to not come because it was just a really bad weekend. And like, literally to the man, we were all, I felt bad for the, the guy thing. that organized yeah. it. Where yeah. To yeah. the man, we were yeah. like, yeah, yeah man, I really didn't want to come. But I'm so glad I did, <laughs> <That's great. laughs> which uh, was which was positive in the end. But it, uh, but it, the, the, to your point, like it, there's just especially if you have small children or you're at a, a, at certain life stages, like there's just never a good time. Which is ultimately That's like right. why I decided to go is like you know there's never going to be a good weekend. So I, even though this is yeah. a terrible weekend, I'm going to do it anyway. Well, one of the one of the I, I guess the second habit uh, that dovetails into finding your purpose statement is finding simplicity. Right. Um, I think finding simplicity, um, it really is an active process that we have to find. You know, I, I think about just our, uh, we, the house we lived in when my wife and I, we, we went from an apartment to we eventually, after a couple of years, bought a house. Mm-hmm. And when we moved in this house, I mean, we had, we had empty rooms. I mean, we had, you know, it was like a three bedroom house. It was not like this huge size place, but it was big enough to where there were rooms that had no furniture, just empty. I think right. we, we had lived in this house for two or three years. This kid comes by our house on Halloween. I'll never forget it. And trick or treats and looks in our house and said, are you guys moving? Because <laughs> she just saw these empty rooms and we're yeah. like, no, we've actually lived here for two or three years. We just haven't filled it up. But then of course, you know, maybe five years later, we moved from that house into a different house. And 
we're, you know, we do what everyone else has done. We go like, where did all this stuff come from? Right. Because that's the way life works. We just naturally collect stuff. And if you have space, you're going to fill it up. We're goldfish. And the same thing is true of your, that's exactly right. Same thing is true as your calendar. Same mm-hmm. thing is true of your mind, that if you have space, you're going to fill it up. And right. so to be able to find purpose is really, is, is going to only happen if you can find simplicity. And the whole point of purpose is there's a hundred things that my life could be about, but I'm going to pick one or two or three because it's the only way I'm going to be able to accomplish anything is if I actually focus and simplify and remove the clutter and get rid of the distractions so that I can uh, live at least the kind of life that I hope to live or want to live. So I think that idea of purpose is really, um, it's a powerful, powerful concept to dealing with the distractions. Sure. Let's get all four habits out so that we're not backing into it. So what are the four habits? Because we've talked about two of them so far, but I want to make sure we're explicit. What are these four habits for overcoming the distraction? Yeah, number one, to get quiet. Number two, to find simplicity. Uh, Number three, to speak to yourself. Mm. And number four, to press pause. Press Mm. pause. So So speaking... Go ahead. No, I feel like we've we've talked a little bit about getting quiet and the uh, and and the benefits of uh, of that, but uh, and and a little bit about pressing pause and listening. But I, I, let's let's talk about listening to ourselves. How do we how do we do that? Yeah. Well, I um I I think people know this, but the the longest running conversation you have all day long is the one you have with yourself. No question. And I think too many people, um, you know, it's amazing how we are. So caring towards others mm-hmm. at times we can be more compassionate toward others more so than we can even be to ourselves. I mean, all no that data, question, all the data around uh, pets, you know, people are more likely to um, to take their pet to the doctor, to the vet, to get the medicine for their pet and to actually uh, give the medicine to the pet than they are to themselves. You know, right. we're way more likely to do it for our dog or to our cat than we are to get ourselves to the doctor and go pick up the medication, actually um, take the medication. Mm-hmm. That unfortunately, we're just not as, uh, we're not as kind to ourselves. Right. We don't treat ourselves with as much care mm. as we could. And I think the place we start is what we're saying to ourselves is the message that we're giving ourselves, the way we're talking, the way we're speaking to speaking to ourselves on a regular basis. Even so our actions me, to ourselves are speaking to ourselves, like to your point. You know, it, when uh, you don't exercise, point. you're telling yourself you're not a priority. You're telling yourself something. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, I, I have really benefited lately from having some self-regulating questions that mm. I use, um, which, you know, I, you know, these are very personal to me. And so somebody might listen to these and go, well, those aren't for me. And they weren't, you know, obviously they weren't meant for anybody. They were meant for me. But I think the power of having questions that you ask yourself, I think, is really helpful mm-hmm. um, because it allows you to get objective about your about your situation right. and to um, get outside of yourself. I mean, I, I've been meeting with this professional coach and, you know, you know, the world of coaching, it's similar to counseling. Mm-hmm. They, it feels like they make it their aim to not give you any advice. And so they just end up asking you a bunch of questions. And right. The question that he comes back to over and over again is, well... Clay, what would you, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Right. You came to yourself with that same situation. Right. And every time he does it, I'm like, this is unbelievable that you're making this kind of money (laughs) to ask me what advice I would give myself. But, and yet you keep going and yet you keep going going back. So who's the idiot? You know what I mean? But I love the idea that, uh, you know, people don't like, they don't like getting advice from other people that the best kind of change happens when we, uh, 
when we wake up to something ourselves, right. when we become aware of something ourselves. And so learning to ask the kinds of questions like, hey, what advice would you give to somebody in your situation? Um, I really like the question, what would a great person do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, if you want it, because every, everybody wants to be an exceptional human. Well, right. ask yourself that question. Hey, you know, in this situation, what would an exceptional human do about this situation? Right. And a lot of times it just clears the fog and it allows you to speak to yourself, um, in, in, oh, an advisory kind of way mm-hmm. that helps you begin to live the kind of life that you know you want to live. Um, for me, my, my schedule, I mean, that's one of my biggest problems is I just, struggle so much with margin. My calendar just fills up and gets so busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but asking the simple question of why am I adding this to my calendar? Why right. am I doing this? Right. Um, has been so profound because it's helped me bump into the fact that, oh, I'm doing this to please someone else, or I'm doing mm-hmm. this to make me look busy, or I'm doing this because I just like having stuff to do. Um, but at least, you know, even if you don't change anything about it, you may as well just be honest with yourself and uh, tell yourself the exact reason why yeah. you're doing it. Yeah, I think that makes sense well, to do that. So not to make this about me, but I am uh, inherently going to do that. The uh, sure. that's that's exactly like the point of of this getaway that I just did was to was to figure out what our mode, what our filter was that we were seeing things through, and why Love we it. were adding things, and whether you choose to change that or you choose to embrace it and and react accordingly was up to us. But it was a meant it was meant to give you that filter. So I absolutely yeah, I, I absolutely get that. The other thing, you know, well, I, what did you? Go ahead. Do you mind me asking what did you what did you find? What what were some of your motivations that were? Oh man, I mean, for me it was I I would try to seek I would try to seek joy and distraction from pain. That's are you familiar with the Enneagram at all? Do you guys? Yeah, so you're a seven. Yes, I am. There you go. I am Uh, too. I could tell just by talking to you, but that's the whole motive of the seven is to avoid pain, right? Right. So I and and I would I would fill things in with noise, even if it was busyness or even if it was from the outside. Um, a positive thing, whether it's exercising or pouring yep. into work, but or or doing something that was net benefit, but it was still it's still meant to avoid pain and to seek and to seek joy. Now, knowing that allows me to decide: like, is this behavior something that I need in order to be healthy, or is this behavior something I'm doing to distract from something that I really need to deal with? And that's yep. uh, that's that was like a big takeaway for me from the weekend. Well. Again, just the simple fact that you're answering the question, um, it doesn't determine what you're going to do with it, but it at least allows you to be honest with yourself. I mean, we it is amazing how powerful we are as humans in our ability to deceive our own self Mm -hmm. to uh, I I love the quote. I heard this when I was in graduate school 15 years ago. I've never forgotten it. But human beings are the only creature capable of doing something irrational in the name of reason. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Which is incredible that we have that capability as humans to do something that is totally irrational. It makes no sense, but mm-hmm. we do it thinking that we're being logical, thinking that this is reasonable, that we're actually making sense right. out of life by doing this. Uh, but the truth is we've just deceived oh. ourselves. And, and the so, mental gymnastics we have to do to get there is unbelievable. <laughs> it, it really is. Yeah. Um, you know, the way place I see it more than anything else is whenever I'm talking to somebody who's in the middle of having an affair, it is the wildest exercise because in that moment, they are so captivated with the idea of this other person that mm. they will cash in every other part of their life uh, because it's so enticing. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how powerful the mind is to be able to deceive ourselves and say, hey, 
this is worth cashing in all the chips on walking my daughter down the aisle, on having mm-hmm. a relationship with my kids, on mm-hmm. telling the story that I want to ha- not having to lie the rest of my life about my past or right. anything like that. We'll cash it all in because we're just enticed with the moment. Right. And so learning how to turn down the noise, learning how to listen to what's really going on inside of us and answer that question of why am I doing this really? Uh, mm-hmm. What's really going on here? Um, it's just a, um, I think it's a habit. It's a rhythm that uh, I, I think it's, it serves our life like a noise canceling habit. It just it cancels the noise and allows us to listen to what's really going on, so that we can ultimately grow. So in this habit of speaking to yourself, um, which it seems like you know it seems just based on our conversation, like all four of these habits kind of go into each other well. Like if you want to get quiet, you kind of need to have some simpli- some, some some simplicity. And if you want to speak to yourself and have the time for it, you need to get quiet. And in order to get quiet, you need to press pause. And in order to have time to press pause, yeah. you need to embrace. Like they seem really intertwined. But I'm wondering uh, specifically to the speaking to yourself. And I've I've actually you're not the first person to have come to the conclusion about like where self talk is uh, in, right. in our in our heads. That's but right. but what I I've made this joke before, and it's 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 insane to me how crazy true it becomes. Stuart Smalley from SNL. I'm good yeah. enough, I'm strong enough, and yeah. gosh darn it, people like me. Like, yeah. looking in the mirror and saying that to yourself seems to me to be a really effective habit to start the day based on the research and the people that I've talked to, as cheesy and ridiculous as it is, because again, yeah. that was a sketch comedy show about <laughs> right. cheesy, a cheesy, ridiculous guy, and and my goodness, if, that, if the research doesn't support how insightful uh, Stuart Smalley is. Yeah, I think, you know, for I, I obviously I'm a Christian pastor. And so I come from a, a stream of faith where people got together on a weekly basis to sing the same kinds of songs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, Christians aren't the first ones to do that. Obviously, people have been gathering together as a form of resistance to say the same things, to chant the same things, to speak a creed, to say something out loud. I mean, even mm-hmm. in a way, the U.S. Constitution provides this, that it, the right. Pledge of Allegiance that we right. say in the morning, anything we do to remind ourselves what we actually want to want to believe. I mean, right. do I, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, I remember the, the moment when it dawns on you that, you know, you're like, are we, are they brainwashing us by standing up and saying this? Pledge of Allegiance every day. Um, but the, the, the truth is, I do love our country. Are there things about our country I would change? For sure. Are there things about our country I don't like? Sure. But there are, there's more good than, than bad. There's more, there's more positives than negatives. And so to remind myself whenever I sing the Star Spangled Banner or say the pledge that, hey, this, uh, this freedom that we have in our country was paid for. It's a really good thing. And yeah, we ought to work really hard to try to keep, try to sustain that and try mm-hmm. to make this a place that people enjoy living mm-hmm. for a long time. There's something powerful about speaking, about using language like that to speak to ourselves. And I think that's what Stuart Smalley, uh, to your point, uh, in a really cheesy, silly, ridiculous way, uh, was actually reinforcing a really healthy habit of waking up every day and reminding yourself what's true, reminding yourself who you want to be, what's really uh, true in life, what your anchor really is. But it is a it's a noise canceling habit. And, And the reason why I think it's so powerful is because if you don't do it, right. You will not, and this sounds really obvious, but if you don't do it, you just don't reap the benefit from it any right. other way. Right. Because the only way you actually uh, get to receive the benefit from speaking to yourself in this way is if you turn down the noise low enough and right. long enough to actually implement the habit in your life. And it's just not, um, it will never be easy to do. But I've just learned in my life the things that are valuable, the things that are worth anything, uh, were usually somewhat hard. Uh, they right. did not come natural, they right. were counterintuitive or. 
Um, sometimes they took some effort, and I think this will too, but it will be worth it for you. Well, if you don't make the choice to be proactive in your thought life, you will be reactive in your thought life, and then you are out of control of whatever you're trying to do in your head. Because yeah, then you're exactly just going right. to be responding to whatever the lowest common denominator of stimulus is for that day. And it's usually, it's usually stress-oriented, right? Because it gets to our lizard yeah. brains and we become, we become right. reactive at the most basal, visceral level. And, um, and the only way to combat that is to engage your higher-level thinking. And I, I'm going to say something that I think is important. If you're going to try to do this habit, I think you need to literally say it out loud. Because there is something about engaging more parts of your brain in putting literal language to it. Yep. Not idea language, but literal language. And say, today, I'm going to focus on X. Today is about me being the best blank that I can be. And yep. and by saying it out loud, you engage the parts of your brain that involve language and speech, but also in hearing it. And we receive ideas differently in hearing it. There is literal research about, about the effect of self-talk in, in athletic performance, of the athletes that sit there and encourage themselves verbally yep. out loud before they have to commit a feat of strength and how that improves the results of their feats. It's, it's an incredibly powerful thing in our head that we, can, that we can tap into, but you have to go through the cheesy process of intentionally <laughs> right. saying that out loud to yourself. And I think that's what journaling is as well. I mean, 100%. Journaling is essentially another 100%. form of saying it out loud because yep. you're writing down what you want to be true and telling yourself. You're just leading yourself to believe what it is you want to believe. Yeah. I was doing, um, I was do I was doing a talk on this topic, and uh, this lady um, just blurted out. I mean, it was probably 30 people in the room, hmm. uh, and this lady over to my left, she blurted out just out of nowhere. I mean, it was you know it was kind of a keynote address, so it wasn't exactly a Q and A. And she goes, "That is so inauthentic." Wow. <laughs> and honestly, it took me back, you know, you, you being a math major, you could relate to this probably, but you know, when you, when, when it dawns on you that you've been doing a problem wrong this whole uh -huh. time, then you, then you've taught others how to do the problem wrong. Yep. You know, that's a really, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a sobering moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I sat there for a second. I was like, Oh my gosh, is this lady right? Is this really, in, am I teaching people to be inauthentic? Right. Um, but I think what I've had to come to the realization of is that telling yourself what you want to be true, it's not tricking yourself to believe something you don't believe, but it is, it is reminding yourself right. that you are ascribing to a higher value than the emotion right. that you feel in the moment. Exactly. And there's something powerful to that. Exactly. I, I, I think that's a really great way to phrase it because you're not I mean, you're going to be able to affect your reality with this kind of self-talk, but you're not um, you're not going to be able to make the untrue true. You're just no, you're not distorting reality. Right. That's right. You're just going to be able to uh, you're just going to be able you're just going to focus and keep your mind oriented in the in a way that is productive and proactive instead of reactive. Now, uh, unfortunately, when this lady did this, I wasn't able to think that quickly on my feet. So I've had months to <laughs> to respond to this lady on numerous occasions. Shower debates? Moment, Shower said, oh, debates? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think in the moment I was just like, oh, that's a really interesting thought. I need to process that a little more. Yeah. And then I moved on to my next point. Uh -huh. <laughs> Look, lady, I came here with notes, all right? I don't need you to, that's right. I, that's I don't right. need you to help my act. Uh, I can't get off script. <laughs> habit, habit three is is getting quiet. Um, we've We've talked again a little bit about being intentional about simplicity, being intentional about how we talk to ourselves. How do we, um, how do we use the idea of getting quiet to the end of eliminating distraction? Like how do, how do we enforce this habit in our lives? Cause isn't that the ultimate goal of all four of these habits? It is. It's to, I would say to not just eliminate distraction. Cause I don't think we'll ever be able to do that in the same way that 
we, we can't eliminate noise from our life. I right. Mean, if you, um, you know, if we were to go into some kind of uh, noise free chamber, I think the quietest place in the world supposedly is in oh, it makes you go crazy. Minnesota. It'll you'll hallucinate. I mean, yeah. it's bizarre that we actually, you know, most people consider maybe like 30 decibels quiet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think it's um, to your point. I don't think we can ever actually fully eliminate distractions from our life. I think the point is. Can are, are you are you do you have a rhythm of your life, a rhythm in your life where you're turning it down to just listen? So I would say getting quiet is not about living in a place where you have no distraction, but it's about a rhythm in your life where you're going, you know what, I'm just it's a checkup. I'm going to turn it down on a regular basis. The problem is you don't know when you need it. Mm. And usually when you need it, it's probably too late, which is why it's got to become a habit in your life. So, you know, most people, most successful leaders uh, they've got some kind of rhythm uh, on a daily basis right. where in the morning they have a moment of Well, that's quiet. the thing. You got to get that extra hour up in the morning because that's the only I part of your so. day you can really control. It sets I the tone so. for your day. And I think there are people that are night owls that find, you know, well, I'll do it at night. And, and, and you know, honestly, there's no right or wrong. I mean, this is this is your own habit. But yeah, I think most people find that they've got to do it first thing in the morning. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then they also have some kind of you know, like you just did some kind of retreat on a semi-annual or maybe a quarterly basis mm-hmm. where they're spending a day where they're going away and they're getting quiet. They're just going to quiet the noise so that they can listen to what's going on inside of them. And, you know, a lot of times you do it and uh, nothing happens. You go, OK, I mean, I think I'm fine. I don't know. I mean, I didn't I didn't really hear anything. I didn't really feel anything. And I think that's OK. I think the point is that you have the right. you have the rhythm in your life so that when there is something to pay attention to and deal with, uh, you can actually be aware that it's there. So I think that's the key to it. Yeah. And I think I think the most profound reaction that you'll get from yourself is in the doing of it regularly, not in not even necessarily in a single session. There'll be good sessions and bad sessions. But when you look back on how yeah. you've changed your life, to just the idea of getting quiet, of unplugging for a little bit and whether that's meditation or prayer or I mean for me too you know a jog does that a lot because it separates me from yep. a whole bunch of other stimulus well most you know if you were to ask people the question hey where do you get your best ideas mm-hmm. you know most people would say well in the shower naturally right. yeah <laughs> which you know but I've asked this question numerous times I mean I've actually read the research that most people will answer number one in the shower right uh, number two doing some kind of physical activity like jogging or cutting the grass, uh, doing yard work, something where your physical, uh, your, your, uh, your body's doing something manual. That's really requiring almost no, that's right. Right. It's almost mindless. It frees up your mind to be able to get on that next level and Mm -hmm. think about something. And I think you're right. I think it's like, it's like compound interest. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were to just look at one single day, how much did it, how much did it grow? It probably not a lot, but over time, the compound benefit, from the, from the habit, uh, is where the payoff really is. And so for me, I try to do it in the morning. You know, I try to have, Hey, you know, maybe it's 10, 15, 20 minutes a day where I'm just sitting there with a blank notepad mm-hmm. staring at it, you know? And some days I use, I like to use the simple little phrase, uh, I want, I need, and I surrender mm. and I let that guide my thoughts. So mm. what is it that I want? Uh, and I try to write things, you know, I, I, I'm a journaler as well. So I'll write things down. What, what do I want today? Right. Um, and a lot of times you, <laughs> You know, you write something down and you're like, that's stupid. Like, should I want that? That But when you put words to it, it helps you see like it helps you see that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, The the simple phrase I need is so helpful for me because it helps me stay in tune to what is really going Mm -hmm. on inside of me um, to answer that question that, no, this is something I really need. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I surrender is really just a uh, it's an act of 
it's really an act of dependence that I think there's something powerful. I think, I think our freedom is found in dependence, which is mm-hmm. counterintuitive that we want this independent life, this self-directed autonomous, mm-hmm. you know, financially independent kind of life, but it's really found under dependence. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to surrender, you know, despite even, you know, I, I wouldn't even prescribe what you're surrendering to. Um, for me as a person of faith, you know, I really think of it as this is something I'm surrendering to God, mm-hmm. but you can think of it however you want to think. Right. But I think there's something powerful to sing every morning, wake up and saying, okay, here are the things that I'm trying to surrender. And I think it's just, a, it's a, it's a checkup. It's turning down the noise. Um, you can discover what really is on the other side of the distractions. And you know, that's so much that's that you're basically just go through the serenity prayer, uh, in your journal, Yeah. you know, the, yeah. Uh, that's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the, str- the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, for those of you that don't know the serenity prayer. Okay, so habit four, though, is pressing pause. And what is, unique, pause, yeah. what is unique between getting quiet and pressing pause? Because they seem very similar to me. Yeah, I think of, uh, I think of getting quiet as uh, giving yourself space. I think of pressing pause as more tactical of what are the things that, you act, that you're doing that you need to stop doing. Oh, interesting. Um, so in, in the spiritual realm, in the, in, you know, in, the, in the Christian world, there's a couple of uh, practices. One of them is fasting. Uh, one yeah. of them is the Sabbath. And these mm-hmm. are really both forms of pressing pause. So you know, the, way, the way life seems to work best is when you have a work week, and you give it all you got, you know, you right. hustle throughout the week and you take care of all your stuff and you fail some. And, but you know, what did Churchill say about success? Success is moving from failure to failure with enthusiasm. So <laughs> you, you, try, you, know, you try to do that throughout the week and then you get to the end and you have a day where you press pause, where you say, Hey, I'm mm-hmm. not going to work today. Right. And there's something powerful about doing that because what it does is it reminds you that your work is not dependent on you. Uh, it will go on. I mean, when you leave this job one day, when I leave the job I'm in one day, the earth is just going to fill in around us. Right. And they'll they'll be sad for a minute, you know, but then they'll just move right on. Right. And that that um, I don't know. There there's to to be able to accept that kind of honesty about your own life, the the the, the humanity of your own life. I think it keeps you humble. I think it re- allows you to put your put your life in in the right perspective to see it correctly. Um, fasting is really just saying, hey. You know, a lot of people associate fasting with food, um, mm-hmm. but fasting could be anything. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, for for me, probably the most powerful fast I've had recently was just getting off social media for a month. Oh, yeah. Um, my wife is great at doing this about every around the 30th of every month. She says, hey, what are we going to quit next month? And she'll just pick something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sometimes it's I'm not going to I'm not going to drink this month or I'm not going to eat desserts this month or I'm not going to have any um, spontaneous spending this month, or I'm not going to be on social media this month. So a lot it's of like times, Jen Hatmaker's seven. Did you read that book? Yeah. It's the same concept, isn't yeah. it? That she's just encouraging people, Hey, pick some things to stop. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that practice, uh, it's a noise canceling habit because right. you learn something. So for me, what I learned when I got off social media was this, this pressure to put out this image of myself mm. that I felt like others would want sure. was so deep inside of me that um, I actually enjoyed being off of it. Um, during the summers, I do a lot of uh, speaking at camps with a lot of college students. Mm-hmm. And most of these camps, they ask the students to put your phone away while you're here. And, you know, at first, whenever I ask them at the beginning of the summer, I'm like, how's it going? They're like, oh, my gosh, I miss it. I don't, you know, I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on. I feel disconnected. By the end of the summer, how do you think they feel? Oh, my gosh. You're like, oh, my, I, I, don't, I don't even want to look at it anymore. Exactly. Yeah. It is unbelievable how consistent it is that every one of them to a yeah. person is like, yeah. 
oh my gosh, I wish I didn't even have to. But then of course what happens is they get back into life and they pick it back up again uh-huh. and they, you know, get addicted to it again. Right. So, but I, but I think the, the principle, the habit is you don't have to wait until the summer and go the whole summer to binge without your phone. You know, you could take a, you could take a day a week, you know, you could take mm-hmm. a, maybe a, maybe a meal and just put your phone away. I know some of people are probably thinking, well, how would I take a picture of my food if I didn't have my <laughs> phone, which is a legitimate question. I mean, yeah, um, but, but people got to know what you're eating. I mean, look at the, those shrimps still have know. their heads on them. People have to see them. <laughs> look at them. Look at them. Yeah. But I, I, I think the, um, I think, I think I would imagine your listeners probably can understand that and probably mm-hmm. get that the, the power is in the experimentation. Yes. You just go, Hey, I'm going to pick something and I'm just going to stop and press pause. I'm not going to mm-hmm. stop it forever. But for today, for this hour, for this maybe the next five minutes, I'm just going to not, and just to listen, just to see what's on the other side of it. So there's a, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said, but what but uh, one is you know so much of what you said fits into the stoic idea of memento mori of remembering that you will die and that there's yep. nothing that's so important that uh, cannot be seen through that matrix. But the other thing is, I notice I fast, and and there have been there's been a lot of research in the benefit, the health benefits, the intrinsic health benefits of fasting. Forget the spiritual or the emotional yep. benefits. But one of the things I find is, I find all of this time, and when I start to let go of meal preparation and the wow. idea of uh, of the rhythm of finding food, it it makes it makes a huge difference for me mentally. Um, and, and I start to let go of that time and that mental energy, and all of a sudden, I find I find new places for myself. What's your rhythm of fasting? How often do you do it? My rhythm is I, I try to do intermittent fasting regularly. So I will go 18 to 20 hours a day without eating and try to eat inside of a window. And the health benefits of that are, are you know, stuff that we've talked about a lot on the show. But then um, uh, every once in a while, I'll do a 36 to 72 hour fast. Um, and that's where oh, wow. I really see a lot of benefits where you go like three yeah. days you start to break out of your habits that are associated with food. And it's amazing, like, you start to realize when you when you can't distract yourself by going and getting a snack, how much of your relationship to food is um, is habit-based instead of listening to your body. Um, yeah. Because the, the, the times when the cravings are the hardest are actually not when I'm the hungriest. Because that I can fix with a little green tea and some water. The times yeah. that are the hardest are when I am when I'm bored or when I want the comfort of food. And that's, and that's really the opening part of pressing pause on the food thing is I, I actually see, and I think that, I think that works for everything. Like I deleted, I delete social media apps from my phone for periods of time. Um, and you know, in, in my work, I kind of need to post somewhat regularly, but, yeah. um, but what I found is that just in, in taking it off my phone and having to do it with the computer or having to have somebody else in the organization post for me, I, I uh, I find that like I realize that I'm reaching for my phone to distract myself constantly, and when the app's not there, it the kind of like the the little need for that squirt of dopamine goes away. Yeah. So I find the, that yeah. yeah. The power comes to when you decide, you know what, that comfort that the food's right. giving me, or the or the the sense of uh, success, or the sense of busyness that that. Uh, that ding for my email is giving me, mm-hmm. if I could, if I could choose to address that head on and mm-hmm. just say, okay, well, what, what, how should I deal with this lack of right. comfort or this uh, lack of approval that I'm actually dealing with? If I could deal with it directly, if I could deal with it head on, I think that's the emotional growth that really begins to happen that will make, um, that will make you, that will make any one of us um, uh, a better person, mm-hmm. uh, which I think ultimately will make us a better leader. I know. Look, I, th- I think that's that's really profound, and I think a, a better leader of your own life, and it will it will also yeah. help you. Again, I think you know ninety percent of this is just understanding the why. 
Why am I yeah, doing these? Why am I distracting right. myself? What am I distracting myself from, from and why? Why do I want to not be distracted? What am I trying to do? Am I trying to be a better parent to my kids? Am I trying to accomplish some goal that requires daily repetitive tasks? Like when you go less than in some of these distractions, it starts to clear your mind to figure out your why. And I think that that's fundamentally, uh, I mean, to me, that's one of the biggest benefits of, of this thought process. I agree. I think it's, um, I think turning down the noise allows you to find some of that motivation that's really underneath. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I agree. Uh, Clay, I know you're a busy man, and I know we've gone over the time that we had talked about, but the book, How to Lead in a World of Distraction, Four Simple Habits for Turning Down the Noise, I think we have, uh, what's the expression? We've exhausted the premise of why this is important. You need to get this book. Uh, click the link in the show notes so you can you can dive deep into how to begin to unpack the distraction that we've been talking about for this uh, for this whole time. Before I let you go, there's two things I want to ask you. First and foremost, how can people follow up with you? Yeah, um, I would love to have a conversation about this. Would love to stay in touch. I'm on social media. Uh, Ironically. That's right. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I've got a website, howtoleadonline.com. And there's a weekly newsletter that we send out just to try to um, continue the conversation. Um, but I feel really um, genuinely honored that you would sh- take a little bit of the uh, spotlight that you've been given and shine it on my uh, my little project. So I really appreciate it, Gib. You're very welcome, Clay. This is the kind of st- I actually really believe in the importance of this. I think I think the world is kind of coming to the conclusion that we are we are hyper distracted. Uh, in a way that we that that goes back for a very long time, technology is just the current tool yeah. that distracts us from from this stuff. Uh, I'll put a link to your social media accounts and your website in the show notes. One final right. question, and I ask it to everybody: What is one simple habit that people can start doing today that will make their lives a whole lot better? Yeah, I um, I try to read the Bible and pray every day. But I would yeah. say, if it's not the Bible, I would read some kind of super text every day. I mean, there's certain texts that have lasted uh, for a long time for a reason. And I think just the simple habit of saying, hey, I'm going to um, I'm going to let this inform how I speak to myself. Mm-hmm. And then I think to your point, prayer, it's just another form of quieting the noise. Mm-hmm. And whether you're listening, whether you're talking, um, there's something powerful about the simple habit of that. So mm-hmm. um, as a pastor, I am uh, partially required to answer with that kind of answer. <laughs> um, but I, you know, obviously, this is not just a profession for me this is a it's a passion and uh i think there's a lot of benefit that comes from uh, those kind of habits yeah i mean any i i like uh i like the bible i like marcus aurelius's meditations uh that is another book that has survived for a very long time and, and is uh a religious it is it is just stoic in philosophy and no with no higher power so, so I, I i like all of those answers again clay scroggins Thank you so much for your time. Uh, How to Lead in a World of Distraction is the book, and it, a link to that in the show notes. And uh, I just I just really appreciate you. Glad to do it. Thanks, Gib. So, so Gibber, did you see, uh, did, did, when you were in the middle of this interview, were you thinking about making any changes in your own life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and how I, you know, I uh, we talked about, I just, right before I did the interview, we'd done a getaway with some guys where we, we actually were being focused on our mission statements um, as, as a group of men, we were like each writing our own mission statement for our lives. 
And um, and this the timing of this interview could not have been more perfect because I was really already like I was already really focused on that and and this idea of winning our days and and owning ourselves away from distraction. And that was really, ba- that was based on Marcus Aurelius's teachings, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, the Stoics come up a lot in these interviews <laughs> that I do, and uh, I, I'll pigeonhole the Stoics in even if it doesn't make sense. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. That is it for our show today. Special thanks to Clay Scroggins. Uh, the show is produced, well, it's produced by me and, and by Chrissy Wallen, who books all of our guests. Uh, John is on Facebook, facebook.com slash John Tesh. We are there most of the time. That is where we do videos, post all kinds of stuff, uh, and try to respond to everybody. He's also on Twitter, at John Tesh. Uh, on Instagram, at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and thank you guys so much for listening. Please rate, comment, and subscribe.